This is Geek Gab with your hosts, John and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, August 4th, 2018. And uh, we have on the show a good friend and great author, Sky Hernstrom, uh, here to talk about all kinds of stuff. But before that, uh, John, how was your week? Hey, guys. My week's been really good. I have some interesting things to talk about in current events. But first, there's a, a bittersweet announcement for my, uh, my local gaming crew. As I finally wrapped up the two and a half year long Mega Dungeon campaign, my my fir first foray into dungeon mastering for maybe fifteen years, and uh, and it was a rousing success. But it's over now, and it ended with the TPK, right? Uh, one of my favorite characters uh, was killed by a nefarious. Uh, trap that's uh, meant for a human sacrifice. So, but what happened to the rogue Knoll that escaped? Uh, he was eventually caught and destroyed. They they eventually caught up with that villain. They were very satisfied to have taken him out. Today, folks, the uh, the theme for today. In case you're wondering about. What kind of errors Google is going to be throwing at you today to kind of spice up the show? The theme for today's errors, I'm just guessing based on events that have happened. Uh, you know, before the show gets going, we, we bring guests on so we can be sure to clear up any technical problems. It's kind of like the uh, troubleshooting Russian roulette. We get to see what kind of exciting problems we're having this show, and then we get to try and fix them. So that's what literally what like the last 15 minutes before we go down the air is all about. So this show, the theme of the errors today seems to be unanticipated background noises. So if you want to listen to the show, keep an ear out. For random background noises to spring up, it is just some extra excitement brought to you by Google because they love you so much. I'm going to leave my microphone unmuted for a few minutes so that you guys can enjoy the ambiance. <laughs> Skylar Hernstrom, how's it going, man? Good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. I'm busy, 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 busy. I will not lie. Um, there is so much stuff going on right now. I uh, I'm reading through the earthquake uh, plot in the Batman books that happened in the late '90s, right before the year 2000. For two years, uh, an earthquake went off, destroyed Gotham, and for two years, that was like the core of the Batman books. Two years huh. of like eight different comics revolving around Gotham being flattened. Uh, there was Batman Cataclysm, the road into uh, No Man's Land, and then, of course, No Man's Land, which got adapted into the third of the Nolan Batman movies. The Dark Knight wow. Rising was based on it. That's what I'm reading right now, and it is, it's really quite good in a lot of places and a couple of other places. It's a slog, and it's grim. They're talking about the body count. They're like, oh, yeah, one million. Literally, that was the term they're throwing around. One million people in Gotham died, and I'm like, holy Crap. Jeez. Yeah, I'm reading uh, uh, one of those epic collections of Captain America. Uh, late oh, yeah. 80s. Let me make sure I got the right one here. Late 80s. And um, it has just been awesome. Uh, you know, it's got a, um, this whole sort of romantic subplot with Diamondback. Uh, it's got Red Skull, Crossbones, all my favorite bad guys, and uh, yeah, it was the, it was the Bloodstone Hunt, and um, 
you know, it's just it's this big thick volume, and I just breeze through it, and it's man, this is just so damn good. It's just so good. Uh, I mean, ah, I can't wait till comics come back around again. You know, there's a lot of people working on that right now, but you think it's really going to happen? I don't know. I mean, um, I know that uh, I haven't been following it too. I haven't been following it too closely, but uh, there's that diversity in comics guy. What was it Richard Meyer? He's got a couple things in the works. Um, the thing I'm most excited about is that John De La Ross has uh, the uh, Flying Sparks on Indie. I think it's on Indiegogo. And uh, that's, uh, that's um, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, the, the whole, um, it's so, so ignored and so sort of underdeveloped, but that, that it's, it's the romantic subplot, you know, it's like, it's not like I'm at home watching reruns of Moonlighting or something. It's not like romance as a genre is any part of my life or anything, but in, in a narrative and comics are really well suited for this too. Sort of that ongoing soap opera thing, but you know, that, that subplot element just, it, it just, it has a potential to really bring up a lot of stuff. And um, I guess in the, the John De La Rosa's the flying sparks project, that's, that's going to be a major uh, part of the narrative. And uh, so, you know, that that's funded, you know, there's a couple other things going and uh, you know, I mean, these independent projects, they're going to be exciting. You and know, the, more, the, we don't, we don't know if there's going to be a big market for them, but the, yeah. the, the Kickstarters, all, all the funding campaigns have gone extremely well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that, that's gotta be some kind of indicator. You know, I'm never, never going to sit here and, and make predictions or, or position myself as some sort of a uh, Nostradamus here. But, you know, just, if you just look at the funding, that's, that's very encouraging. It's very encouraging. I've, uh, I've dropped money on 12 different comics, uh, Indiegogo comics projects in the last uh, month and a half to two months. Uh, and then I also picked up Wildstar uh, that uh, Alex from Kursova was running. Yeah, I just got that in the mail. Yeah. I'm so did I just yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to dig into that. Um, yeah, it, it looks great. I was I was flipping through the box, uh, and I was like, "Oh, this looks awesome! I want to, you know, get down and do this." But uh, I, I've got to find the time. Yeah, I think the last time I was reading a lot of comics off the rack, the last time I had a pull list in a comic shop was around 2005, 2006, and um, I'll never forget it because. Uh, uh, I had a very good-natured argument with my father, and my dad's like, "Yeah, I know one. Adults don't read comics. Adults don't read comic books. Adults don't read comic books." And I'm like, "Yeah, Dad, I'm reading all these." And then gradually, it was like all the books I was reading kind of sucked. And, and you know, at, at the end of like at two or three months left, I'm looking at this pull list and realize I haven't I haven't read them. I just stacked them up, and it's like you know the joy of owning a comic book is sort of secondary to the enjoyment i'm supposed to be getting from this story so i just stopped buying them and uh um my local comic shop this guy jeff runs it he, he's he's a prince he's awesome and he'll help me to old old arcs and old storylines that uh he might, might like and you know one of a friend of mine said oh, you should check out the bloodstone hunt because i was uh you know jones and for some you know 70s 80s you know classic superhero type action and of course it was awesome but you know you don't, I don't, you know there's the you don't have to reinvent the wheel. But there's really no reason they couldn't be making comics this good now, you know. So yeah, we'll see what happens. I um, it, it's ironic, I, and I just found this out. Chuck Dixon, comics writer, uh, co-creator of Bane, yeah. um, he was on John Delarosa's podcast the other night. Oh. Um, wow. And so I was there. I listened to it. Um, and one of the things he said that I thought was really fascinating, uh, and I want to tie this back to the Pulp Revolution because I did not realize this. I had always heard, and people had always told me, oh, yeah, superhero comics, they took over the comics industry because people just didn't, you know, buy anything else, and they kind of, sales of those dropped off. And so uh, comics is superheroes. Yeah, comics is superheroes. Superheroes is comics. So... 
But Chuck Dixon, what he said was that as late as the 1970s, in addition to superhero comics, you had like romance comics yeah. and war stories mm -hmm. and all kinds of other comics that were selling well, selling literally millions of copies, one title, millions yeah. of copies a month. And they all got dropped and canceled, not because the audience wasn't there, but because editors who were way into superhero comics but hated everything else just uh, huh. pushed superhero comics and canceled all this other stuff. Huh. Crazy. I, I thought, that's appalling. That's horrible. Yeah. Um, not because I read romance comics, but, I mean, here's well, the thing. If you've got a healthy comics industry, you want to have titles where young upcoming writers, where young upcoming artists can work out, can develop their skills, can develop their storytelling muscles, and mm -hmm. can learn how to tell great stories because uh, as, as soon as they do, and as soon as you've got these all these romance comics paying money to new artists to develop their talents, they can then come over to superhero comics and then they'll make it better. A healthy yeah. industry that sells tons of issues is better for every genre of comics. And I'm like, they may not have realized it at the time, but they were, you know, dropping Agent Orange all over the comics oh, yeah. uh, ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, definitely well suited to superheroes with the costumes and the, the really visual nature, but. It's, I mean, you can make it suited to anything, you know, you can, uh, that medium, you know, should really belong to everybody in all genres, you know, so yeah, I'd be really curious to see what the landscape looks five, 10 years from now. I mean, I've been, uh, I'm definitely, I definitely backed up Flying Sparks. I want to see where that goes. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, everyone needs to, to stop listening to me and go check out the Kursova Kickstarter. Oh yeah, the Kirsova Kickstarter is in its last, I think, six last days, week, uh, something like that. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, it's it's issue nine and ten. Um, if I could, well, do you want to show for it? Because I want to show for it. Uh, I think we could we could both show for it. Um, I I've been I haven't talked to only talked to Alex a little bit recently, but I think I think this, so that'll be the end of volume one and volume two. I think he's going to make some tweaks, so I'm really excited to see what that's all about. But I mean, the guy, the guy delivers, man. You know, he delivers. He he's produced ten issues of this, and I don't think I think a lot of people said he wasn't going to get one out. You know, he pays people, he gets it done. He's never late. This guy is just a proven quantity. And in the meantime, you know, we got this venue for all sorts of people to come out with all sorts of stuff you know huge variety of stories huge variety of authors and um you know absolutely instrumental in me getting out there you know it just happened to be at the right place at the right time and uh you know me and alex hooked up and i got a couple stories in there but you know there's there's tons of people tons of uh stuff happening tons of tons of different authors i mean you got me doing um you know my own weird Jack Vance, Robert E. Howard, my own sword and sorcery, weird, trippy stuff. And there's, but there's all sorts of different stuff in there. And it's a very sort of classic sort of uh, fantasy or science fiction uh, magazine where you pick it up and, and you don't know what's going to, you don't know what you're going to find. Um, you know, at least one issue, there's going to be something there that delight you. And uh, it, it's, it's just fantastic. And um, and think about it, he, you know, he's going to, he's going to meet his, he's going to do what he's going to do, uh, whether or not even the Kickstarter finishes, because that's Alex, but you know, you need to get in there, need to get that last, uh, last two issues of the thing funded and, uh, and we'll start, uh, getting set up for volume two, which will be really exciting. Now, uh, Alex is in the chat. Um, actually, there's a lot of people in the chat. We should go back and pick up some of the comments real quick uh, in just a sec, once I'm done. Um, because my comments are more important than yours. No. Um, um, but I do want to say this, and I want to I be very, very real with you. 
um, because I don't want you guys to think that I'm shilling something just because um, I know the guy online a little bit. I've talked to Alex a couple of times um, or because I've got some sort of involvement. I'm not involved with the magazine. I don't get any uh, benefit from it, from you putting money in the magazine other than the magazine gets to continue being printed or I get to continue reading stories that I like. So I want to be very, very honest with you. The look of the magazine is really old-fashioned for a very good reason. And from the very beginning, I've kind of sat back and thought, I understand what he's going for, but I wish he'd change it because I think that something more grabby, something more modern might get more modern people to be involved. I'm saying bad stuff here, folks, because I want to be just right up my, my honest thoughts about the magazine and why you should buy it should go to the Kickstarter um, and buy uh, these issues and then go to Amazon and buy the previous issues. It's great. Just tons of great stories. Um, and I also think, second bad thing, I also think uh, Alex is really, really bad at promotion. I think he needs to step up his promotion game, talk to people who are doing good work in promotion, uh, get it out there, get it out there better. Um, the tenor of his tweets on the Kickstarter are kind of self-defeating. It's kind of uh, low energy. So I think Alex needs to pick up his, his promotion game. So uh, my, my suggestions, uh, make the magazine cover. Cover is what sells. Uh, Iron Sights. Iron Sights. Richard Myers' comic that just finished its Indiegogo was doing badly, badly for the first third until he started promoting it on Twitter and on his his YouTube channel. Good promotion, boosted sales. But even then, it was only doing okay until he got a hot, great cover, and that went out there, and he made almost, almost doubled the number of sales in three days that he had gotten the whole month. Covers matter. And I'd never been excited about the covers of Kursova. I'm sorry. It just, none of them have grabbed me. I, I, what, I was already interested because of the stuff inside. But normies, regular people, and they're on Amazon, uh, as Brian Nehemiah says, 80% of their decision, buying decision, is based on the cover. If you've got a great cover, that's 80% towards making a sale. So uh, better promotion, better covers, better trade dress. And as far as the magazine itself goes, I have honestly had, out of eight issues that have been published and delivered to my door, I have had one issue where most of the stories just didn't really hit with me. I didn't really like those stories. But that wasn't because they were badly written. It wasn't because the authors were lacking in skill. It wasn't because they weren't stories, which is increasingly rare. Mm -hmm. They just weren't really my type of stories when I read that issue. But every other issue, there has been at least one story, usually two, that are great, that I love. Lots of stories that were really good and entertaining. And even the stuff that was in, you know, for me, down near the bottom was still solid stuff. It was still interesting stuff. So I am telling you that despite these problems, that can be addressed. And despite one issue not really matching up to the rest of the run, I have loved the magazine. I have enjoyed the magazine. And I want you to help me be selfish so that I can continue to read the magazine. So go to the Kickstarter and buy a couple of issues. Go to Amazon, buy some more issues. It's great. My favorite issue so far has been the Eldritch Earth issue, um, which, you know, oh, yeah. we were going to have Alex on the show a, a month or so ago, but he's 
there were technical problems, shockingly enough. But go get Krasova. It's awesome. Well, let me tell you just one more thing about it. It's pretty interesting. Um, you know, way, way back when, uh, Robert E. Howard, H.P. Lovecraft, uh, they sort of linked up via weird tales. You know, some pulp scholar, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but, and you know, people started writing in each other's universes. Uh, there's a lot of cross-pollinization. And of course, um, one of the ways you grow as a writer is of course, talking to other writers. And I mean, um, I got a couple stories in Kirsova, but that's only part of the story. Uh, like the, the first American, which was in that, that Eldritch Earth issue, that would have never come about. A lot of people loved that story. You know, I love writing it. Um, a, that came about because of a collaborative effort because of of what misha burnett wanted to do with that and so the kirsoba um it's a magazine of uh weird fiction and stuff but it's also um sort of a a, a locus point or whatever you want to call it and you know i've had uh tons of correspondence i have new friends i've you know all this stuff going on and it and it just started. It's a snowball that started with Kirsova. So I, that's happening to me. That's happening to, uh, I would say, you know, a lot of people that are involved with it. Um, and this is the type of we're creating a milieu. You know, we're creating a, a scene, uh, uh, sort of this, um, this sort of um, mental mental place. This this thing that, and writers are are we're all getting better, and we're all. Um, like I said, that whole cross-pollinization thing. And that 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 is really exciting. And that's that's from Alex and his hard work. So uh, you know, when you look back at the pulps and you look back at weird tales and stuff like that, um, the whole what that created is is much larger than just an issue here and an issue there or whatever. Um, Robert E. Howard and HP Lovecraft and all these other guys, um, you know, they all inspired each other, they all fed off each other. So it it you know, it's it's a thing that's much larger than the sum of its parts. You know, it's very exciting. Yeah, I uh, I am excited by the pulp revolution, um, and and let me tell you why. I was thinking about this today as I was driving around to go do stuff. Um, I uh, I what I was happiest about, or what I'm most pleased to see with the pulp revolution is it's kind of gone into, and I think I talked about this, I don't know if I, I, I talked about this in private with the last week. Uh, so it's a good time to bring it out in public. Um, and as Kursova shows, as uh, all the activity on Steemit shows, as uh, Bradford Walker's uh, Indiegogo shows, as all of these other uh, ventures and Amazon book shows, the pulp revolution has left for the most part the um loud announcement that we're here and uh this is the problem you know kind of the manifesto stage it's mm -hmm. left the manifesto stage um Appendix N came along, picked up a bunch of people. They went out. We did the manifesto thing. A bunch more people came in. And then everything went really quiet except for projects popping up here and there. Um, and what I'm most excited about is that the Pulp Revolution crowd isn't out picking fights with hard sci-fi people. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying that they're attention is on exactly where it needs to be producing work practicing it getting better at their talents and figuring out how to market the stuff figuring out how to get it out to get people who are going to like it to buy it um listening to nick cole and his success with galaxy's edge uh you know just trying different things working with different publishers whatever um i'm excited because all of the pulp revolution people that i know seem to be people who are in this seriously as a business, as a career. They're not doing this because they want to sit around getting applause from people or they want to sit around at parties telling people they're a writer and plumping up their ego. Yeah. 
they are very, very focused on all of the basics and getting the basics right. And my prediction is, this is my prediction, that at some point in the near future, and maybe that's a year out, maybe that's two years out, or maybe it's in a month or two, somebody in the pulp revolution is going to break out into a larger market. They're going to break out to where normies are going to start paying attention and they're going to start buying their books. And because of that, other members of the pulp revolution will also be start seeing some success. And yes, at that point, you're going to have a lot of other people who aren't really in aren't really into the pulp revolution, but are willing to, you know, put that name on themselves. But at that point, the standard will be set yeah. where we have good stories, great characters, uh, fast-paced, audience-oriented entertainment. And when that happens, the more success that the pulp revolution sees by sticking to those principles, the more pressure, competitive pressure, that's going to put on writers who don't live up to that. So you're going to see a lot of SGWs getting really, really pissy at the pulp revolution's success. Uh, and you're going to see a lot of other science fiction writers either stepping up to the plate or uh, otherwise trying to match that, which is yeah. great. The yeah. more people that get on that bandwagon, the happier I am. Yeah, I think I think you I think you're right. I think your prediction's right for for the main thing that you pointed out, which I really like about that that narrative is that everybody saw that great success that Nick Cole and Jason Ansbach had, and a lot of these guys are putting it on the line. They're they they want to do this for a living, uh, as as some may say, they they've put their skin in the game. They've got to make it work, and you know what that means. They're gonna put out some quality stuff. They're not. Uh, they're not just doing this for fun or a hobby or ha-has. Uh, they've got yeah. their asses on the line, and and they're gonna do what it takes to make it work. Someone is going to break out. You know, I, I will tell you this. My biggest regret in the Pulp Revolution is I don't have time to read all the stuff I want to read. Ben oh, Chia. Yeah. Every time he tweets out. Something it looks so good, and I'm like, that story sounds so great. I want to read that story. That sounds awesome. He is he is really upping his game and in, in making his story sound good uh, uh, and intriguing. I just think that's impressive. I want to read some more of Ben's stuff. I just I I honest to gosh don't have the time. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's just you know I don't want awards. I don't want you know I just want readers. I want I want tons and tons of readers. You know, uh, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not like crafting something to impress other writers. I'm not crafting something to impress a jury or a workshop. You know, I want um, the you know some of the best, the most satisfying successes that I've had so far is when people that aren't writers have contacted me and said, "Oh, that was awesome. When am I going to see those characters again?" You know, it's like there it is, man. You know, that's that's it. You know, I, I'm not I'm not here to impress people. I'm not here to to. Uh, I mean, being a writer is such a thing. It's it's just so bizarre. You know, I, I want I want to put asses in seats. You know, I want to entertain people and I want to have a good time. And you know, I'm just this is, you know, I'm not a technical writer. I'm not a. Uh, yeah, this is this is just me. This is the stuff that I'm thinking about that I think is cool, and uh, you know, put it put it in prose and uh, put it out there. You know, and let's have a good time. So, uh, let me ask you a question, if you don't mind uh, getting a little bit personal. Sure. Um, I know that you took a break, or at least it was announced, uh, made known to me that you had taken a break from writing for a bit before you came back to Amazon with the two new books. Uh, yeah. I want to talk about later, folks. I read the two new books this week, and I think they're great. Um, and, and I think they're absolutely prime Hernstrom. If you've read Sky before, I think you'll love these. Um, but before we do that, you you kind of took a break from uh, writing for a bit. And I'm just wondering, uh, what was up with that? Yeah. I don't know. I, there was yeah. a better question there, but I forgot it already. No, no, no. That's, that's totally legit. Uh, I had a, a change in my job and uh, a move. 
And that, you know, one thing led to another, and that was basically enough to put me out of action for a while. So the entire time I was still thinking and blah, 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 and thinking. And, um, uh, you know, and it just sort of, you know, I love uh, just writing new stuff. Uh, the, the, it's, you know, people talk about pulp speed and I don't, you know, I never time myself, but I, when I got something going, I could turn it out really fast. The, the problem is I gotta, I gotta sit down and I gotta, you know, not be tired or freaking out of my skull or something. So, um, it just, you know, just hit like a, a weird little patch and, uh, you know, I, I made a, I just, just like you know what i i gotta get back into this i gotta i gotta keep producing uh i'm more happy when i'm producing you know i i just can't i can't not produce stuff no matter you know no matter what it is i i always feel like i have to be doing something and um making some kind of progress in something and so uh more to kairos represented a couple characters that i've been working on for a long time and uh you know, I had this little spark of an idea and I just hammered it out. And um, The Law of the Wolves, I'd written, uh, I don't remember where I'd written that, several months ago. And um, one of the problems that you can easily get caught up in is just, we just don't live, we don't, there's not a lot of markets. And there are very, very few markets that would be interested in anything, remotely anything like the stuff I want to do. So, um, you know like it's kind of this constellation of factors but uh yeah just, just fuck it just just uh got those more two and kairos two characters i love finally got those guys uh into some action and that law of wolves it was like you know what what i'm just not going to sit on this stuff you know um a really good friend of mine put together some covers i'm like all right what's going on amazon you know and my strategy now is you know i'm going to keep my eye open for markets and uh, I'll never shut the door on that. But I could just, I just keep putting stuff out on Amazon, you know. And uh, more to Kairos is going to be a franchise for me. That's going to be, I'm going to keep going back to those two guys, and uh, you know, try to crank out a couple novellas a year. When I get uh, enough of them going to make it worthwhile, I'm going to, you know, do a, a nice print book. You know, if you read my stuff before and you don't have a Kindle, just send me an email, man. Just send me an email. Uh, but you know, more tune Kairos, we're going to be doing a lot with them and law of the wolves. It's like, no, there's, there's no market for that. There's no market for that. Uh, I've had like really good buddy, Alexandru. He, he's absolutely floored by it. He loved it. A lot of positive response from the people that, uh, I've sent that out to, but th there's, there's no market for it, you know? So that's a good natural fit. 99 cents on Amazon, you know, have at it, man. So, you know, between, yeah, so my strategy now is just, just I'm just gonna grind it out. I'm just gonna grind it out, and uh, and you never know what's gonna happen. Like just the other day, um, uh, I got an email from a publisher, and he's a a guy that that uh, found me through Kirsova, and we actually have this like Kevin Bacon connection thing going on. With uh, I like correspond occasionally with uh, Jason Tarpy from this incredible, incredible metal band, Eternal Champion, and. Uh, this publisher produced a volume of stories from metal uh, metal musicians, which was pretty kick-ass, called Sword of Steel. And so, you know, me and him were talking about maybe getting something together. So, you know, you just just got to keep keep grinding it out, keep the momentum up, and uh, try not to let any bullshit life changes derail me anymore. See, I, I, I am so happy about the whole response because the way it had been presented to me when you said uh, when you were going on a break is the person was like, yeah, he's just kind of discouraged with writing right now and he's stopping writing for a bit. And there wasn't like any ET. I'm like, what, Sky yeah, isn't yeah. writing anything, anything anymore? That was like the bottom dropped out of my literary world. I'm just like, no, dude, that's that's not that's not. No, we can't do that. So I uh, just, just just to hear that it was like a temporary thing because of you know convolutions elsewhere and you yeah. didn't you weren't quitting writing. I'm like, dude, no, Scott can't quit writing, man. He he's got to keep going. Yeah, it's <laughs> and like I like I love doing it. That's the thing is you know if it if it was uh if it was a big pain in the ass if it if it was really 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 difficult I, I probably wouldn't be doing it. I I really love doing it. That the act of creation. The, the creating 
and then the prose on the paper and it's just it's just so immensely satisfied like i love to paint i love to paint and i, I love to draw but um i i don't i don't necessarily put forward the effort to to get to get good at it so it's just something fun i do occasionally but the the writing is kind of a knack you know been been into it and you know spent a whole childhood reading and all the paperbacks and everything so the writing comes pretty natural to me and, and it's very satisfying so you know on one hand like you know i'd like i'd like to i'd like to achieve a lot i'd like you know i want two people to be talking and say hey hey hey, did you read this guy yet did you have you read any hernstrom oh stop what you're doing you got to read some hernstrom and the other the other side of that is like i like doing this and i'm going to do it you know if if uh if this represents the the peak of my success then that's fine too because i've had a good time I've met a lot of cool people. So, you know, I'm I'm always going to be churning something out, you know, barring uh being lost at sea again or something, but you know, it's it's just a good time. I had a Well, let's uh let's talk about the two new stories. Yeah, yeah. I, and I want to say this, um with uh with the two new stories, there's a whole lot of stuff I wanted um that I just I'm going to have to shelve that discussion for a later episode because just to ask the question would be yeah, to reveal pretty spoilerific. Yeah. yeah. I'd, so not, I'm not going to say anything at all about it. Uh, although I think that that was a great part of the story that kind of like, you know, that kicked the story up way up in the stratosphere for me. So, you know, kudos on that. And we'll have you back on a show uh, sometime later where we can really yeah. talk about that. I want I want to give people a chance just to just to read yeah, yeah. the story. But I'll tell you one one uh you know we could talk and uh, the law of the wolves came about because uh sometimes I love to slip into that Lord Dunsany voice. And uh, it's it's very much a fairy tale, very much a fable, in the classic sense, being that it's a cautionary tale. And um, you know, you see one too many Pixar Disney movies about how you can be anything if you dream it, and uh, eventually you're just going to snap and you're going to write something like The Law of the Wolves. <laughs> so um, that was uh, immensely satisfying to write, and um, because uh, uh, you know. It, because it's a fairy tale because it's a fable i really got to um play with that sort of language which i love and uh, of course more to Kairos is um uh, my sort of sword and sorcery uh two characters that i'm gonna come back to i i really like endings so um it took a bit of a, a leap but um everything i've written uh has usually has an ending and usually you know the protagonist is dead but uh this one definitely not these guys are going to be in you know a whole bunch of adventures before i'm through with them and uh more too is of course your your um standard issue uh northern or barbarian got a couple interesting twists and uh and it all comes from the the bit of world building that we've done to set everything up uh, I'm not into world building like a lot of other writers, but uh, it is, you know, it, you know, you, you need to set up what you need to set up to have the story be effective. It's, it's not, you're not a dungeon master, you know, you, you're not. I'm glad setting. you said dungeon master, Sky. I, I got to interrupt yeah. you because, because you're, you're the OSR of fantasy writers because our, yeah. our, our, our good friend Brian Niemeyer is the world builder. He's got yeah. everything laid out, and and it's this mm -hmm. deep and 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 thoughtful sort of cosmology. But you're the OSR yeah. style. You just tell the story, and that world emerges so that, from the characters yeah. in the story. And that, that's from you know just a uh, one too many Jack Vance stories. You know, you just you just uh, you know I want to make it. It's like a some sort of a custom car or something where. Uh, it, it only has the parts that it needs. It just only has the parts that it needs. And and um, like in Brian's stuff, it's not like he's uh, he's doing it right. Like he's not an he's not a bad example of uh, world building. But there's some some guys out there that that just just drown you in the detail. And uh, 
you know, there's a point at which you're screaming like, please, something happened, you know, please, somebody, uh, you know, I'm not going to throw any shade. A friend of mine was talking about a fantasy book that he had read. And, uh, you know, he was like, he said at one point, can I please just see a knife fight or something? You know, like, <laughs> you know, like, let's get some action in here, man. Let's have something happen. You know, uh, Neil Durando, you know, senpai, uh, guy that I look up to, he crawled, uh, he uh, lurks around online. Uh, brilliant man knows a ton about writing and stuff. He, uh, I don't know where, I don't know if this is, this is vintage Durando or if he heard it somewhere, it could be, but, uh, um, discursion is the death of narrative, you know, like, like, you know, you want something that you want a story, you know, when you, if you pick up like a D and D gazetteer or whatever they're called, you know, and it's got just page after page of detail about the world, that's what that is. And that's what that's supposed to do. But, uh, you know, stories, something's supposed to happen. Something's got to move. You got to get invested and you got to get invested real quick. You know, and I think my own personal short attention span, uh, you know, when I'm reading something, you know, I, I want to have a good time and I want to I want to get into it. And so it's just that's just how my writing comes out now for more to Kairos, because uh, I want to go back there and I had to set up for parameters. I did, in fact uh write down a whole bunch of notes about that world and um you know we talked i talked about more too he's the standard barbarian guy but of course you know within the confines of this world there's a couple twists a couple strange aspects about it that um you know make him stand out a bit this this story takes place several thousand years in the future after uh several epochs have passed and um you know, there's the epoch we were living in, but at some point in time in the future, uh, uh, these aliens come down and enslave the entire human race. And they try to wipe everything out, language, culture, religion, in order to uh, make humankind more controllable, more malleable. And uh, these aliens, the illiteracy, don't worry about trying to repeat that. I just had a lot of fun with some of the verbiage in this one. Um, they, uh, they're for all intents and purposes immortal, and uh, immortal beings aren't likely to want to throw themselves into uh combat, so they uh created a race of uh, uh soldiers to do all the uh grunt work of maintaining an empire. And the descendants of those soldiers, the descendants of those you know, sort of human with the dash of the alien in them are the stock that Mortu comes from. So he has um, got just a smidge of this alien blood in him. And, uh, which, you know, creates some different different things that we can do with the story. And his friend Kairos is a character that I absolutely love. Um, of course, after these aliens have been defeated, you know, there's this long period of chaos and anarchy. And now mankind is starting to reassert itself with, with various empires, various polities. And Kairos is part of a group trying to restore Christianity. And he's a monk. Uh, unfortunately, at some point in time, he ran afoul of a sorcerer who has imprisoned him in the body of a small capuchin monkey. So we have this uh, incredible badass barbarian guy. And sitting on his shoulders uh, is this smartass um arrogant uh monk so uh you know these two guys is and it's fun too as a writer it's just so fun almost too much fun you know i you know don't want to get get the rep for being self-indulgent but uh you know these guys argue all the time and they argue uh they argue theology they argue philosophy ethics and uh so it's a nice nice sort of vehicle for the arguments that happen in my own head <laughs> to get to get out onto a page it's really fascinating i uh here's the thing about stories about fantasy stories what what you're doing right and what the pulp revolution is doing right i just i sat down and calculated this out i, I, I there was a four book series and i read all four books this is a long time ago before i got jeff road um and the first 20 pages of the first novel literally actually no story events took place yeah mm -hmm. it was just a bunch of description and it's just a bunch of this guy wandering through a terrain and describing it 
And I just sat down and did a quick back of the envelope calculation here. If uh, if you assume that hardback books have like 300 words a page, that's 6,000 words where literally nothing happened. And, and for comparison, folks, your average newspaper opinion column is about 900 words. Oh, wow. Okay. So you can see that that is many, many, many um, newspaper opinion columns worth of verbiage, almost seven, almost seven opinion columns length were in a story that's supposed to be an exciting story and nothing's happening. How much, I mean, 6,000 words is a healthy short story. You can get a lot of stuff done yeah, yeah. in 6,000 words. Yep. And that's why I like your stories, and that's why I like the Kursova stories, and that's why I like uh, Pulp Revolution stories that I've read, is that even if we're, we're like working towards something... Time is my alarm clock. That's a good one. I think that's one of <laughs> that's, that's our background noise you're warned about, folks. <laughs> uh, so, uh... I don't know that we can make a drinking game out of this episode. Uh, it's actually been a lot better than I thought it would be. Yeah, but but if, if you were planning on playing a drinking game with the background noise, that would be one of them. Um, anyways, I uh, even if, as people have noted correctly, that you know a lot of the Pulp Revolution authors haven't gotten up to the standards of, say, you know, Larry Correa has been doing it for a decade. Well, yeah. Um, but even if we haven't hit that level yet, at least all of them understand that stories have to have stuff happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's, it's, um, you know, let's get a little, um, you know, I, I, uh, speaking I of, can, speaking yeah. of, um, speaking of literary, uh, giants like Korea, we had John C. Wright on the show and, and he, he always says, the problem with a boring message fic isn't the message. It's the boring. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, like all all artists, uh, you know, here left to say this a lot, and they're they're right to an extent. All all art is political. I mean, like if you choose to paint a still life with a bowl of fruit, uh, that's a statement about beauty. You know, you have not you have chosen not to make your art about like so let's just say the plight of some oppressed people. So by choosing to paint a bowl of fruit, you know, you've, you've, if we, you know, the most extreme interpretation of this type of thing, you know, you've made a political statement. I mean, like everyone has a bias. Everyone, you know, if you read a story of mine and the hero is, is tall, muscular, and handsome, that, that is itself a statement. You know, like I believe in beauty. I believe in that uh, to a degree that a lot of people can be uncomfortable with beauty subjective. Um, and, you know, heroism and evil and good, and those things are real. Love and hate, those things are very real. And that's all That's all uh, ideology, and that's all personal philosophy, and that's going to be suffused in every single thing I write, whether I'm, I realize it or not. And that's fine. There's nothing. And if you hate all that stuff, if you completely believe the opposite of everything I just said, there's nothing wrong with that either, and that's going to come through in your work. And that's going to come through in your stories, and that's fine too. And uh, just please don't let it be boring. I mean, like Michael Moorcock, uh, you know, very much a, a hardcore leftist. He, you know, he gave the world Elric, and um, you know that that sort of wimpy, drug addicted Conan. He he can get on your nerves after a while, but those are those are good stories. You know, those are really good stories. You know, really really interesting worlds, uh, really well written, well crafted stories. You know, I don't necessarily. Um, you know, I, I, I want a story. I want to have excitement. I want to have a reason to sit there and read this story and whatever, whatever perspective the author's coming from, that's fine. You just, you just better entertain me. Um, so getting back to the, um, uh, and <laughs> Mordus Mordus Kairos Kairos. Yeah, yeah. um, you were talking about world building and I think, whether you do a lot of world building or whether you do a little world building, people need to do enough world building to support the story they're going to tell uh, yeah. and nothing yeah. else. Um, 
And so that's where you and Brian are on, you know, two different ends of the spectrum. Brian does a lot of world building, but it's necessary for his story. Yeah, he doesn't have a bunch of fluff. Um, mm. And you do the world building you do, but it's what's necessary for your story. So this is mm. my question, uh, getting that point in uh, so people understand, you know, where the where mm -hmm. we're coming from. Mm -hmm. That's kind of your position, and I happen to agree with that. Um, with, uh, with this story, in the future, in their future adventures, uh, and it, this question I'm going to ask is not intended to be prejudicial, because whatever the answer, whether the answer is yes or no, both of them could be great for stories. Mm -hmm. um, if uh, The question I'm going to ask is if we're going to find out more about the alien race that conquered Earth. Absolutely. So absolutely. Here's the, yeah. Here's the oh, go ahead. Go ahead. The two reasons why that could be great. And and I guess I want to do this because it's a good object lesson. On the one hand, if they're mysterious, then you have people wandering through their rooms and where their battlefields were. And they're this tantalizing part of the world that people can kind of make up what they think or can piece together different things mm -hmm. based on what they find out. And so a mystery could be awesome and could be a compelling part of the background, or it can be directly, you know, part of the story itself and drive stories is what their stuff does and finding out about it. So either way you go, I think it could be great depending on how it's executed. Yeah. And I hope I hope this answer doesn't sound like a cop out, but it's like yes to both. Well, you know, <laughs> as we travel with Mortu and Kairos, we're going to learn a lot more about the aliens that, that attempted to uh, turn mankind into slaves. We're going to learn a lot about about Mortu's genealogy. Uh, we're going to learn about the the sorcerer that cursed Kairos. We're going to learn about all this stuff, and there's going to be a point that, and I could I couldn't predict it. A dozen. Two dozen. I, I don't know how. There's going to be a point where I read. I write a Mortu and Kyra story, and that's it. You know, that's that's all that um, all that we could get from that world and those characters before it begins to become a shadow of itself. At that time, you're going to have learned a lot about those aliens. You're going to have learned a lot about those Earth, and then there's also going to be stuff that you're going to kick back and imagine for yourself. You know, and that's 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 kind of like the beauty of it for me. Like, um, and I, I I love, uh, you know, like I had that story often in the priestess where this 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 warlord goes on this journey based on the seer's vision, and the seer, of course, is Thune. That's where that comes from, Thune's vision. And so he goes across, and he crosses this magical barrier, and he meets the priestess, and and he manages to overcome a, a lot of weirdness, and he and he completes his quest. And the priestess bears a child, and the last paragraph of it is is about how that child um, grows up. He sunders the barrier between those two worlds. He, he, um, mankind had been stagnant, and he he reinvigorates it, and the gods again begin to take notice of man's affairs, and and then so that's that's it. So so uh, we've got we've got some closure there. We know is we know it that that vision came true, but all that. We can we can just sort of lay back, you know, on on a on a on a summer day with the window open, the wind uh, uh, pushing the curtains. We can lay back on the couch and just let our own. You can let your own mind imagine that guy's career, you know, and uh, that type of stuff. Uh, I just I just love it, man. I just love it. See, I want to I want to talk about that story too, um, really quick because I think you're mm -hmm. wrong about something um, <laughs> yeah. going back to the early part of the conversation you're talking about politics and everything i disagree and i think that story proves why um because that story was very much based around not politics but philosophy sure sure and i think there's a big difference between philosophy and politics yeah and i can see what you're saying yeah i admit we're in a world where people have tried deliberately to erase any distinction between politics and philosophy. They've tried to erase the distinction and say that all politics uh, is philosophy and all philosophy is political. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, you get people coming along and said, well, yes, but this book uh, is a fantasy novel and it has people who are vying for uh, the throne and therefore that's politics. I'm like, homie, you know, that's not what I mean. Or yeah, you should yeah. know that's not what I mean. If you don't, 
you, you really need to think about right, it. Right, right, right. Um, politics, at least as the term is used in the West since the beginning of the age of ideology, is about, uh, and since the birth of the state, the kind of unified governments and nations that didn't really exist before the uh, you know, 1649. Um, I Sorry, folks, that's, I don't want to, I'm not going to tell you what the Treaty of Westphalia is, but that's what I'm talking about. Just yeah, I mean, um, put that yeah, aside. <laughs> even in terms of like a, a classical Marxist definition about uh, competition between classes, you know, but, you know, you're highlighting another problem that we're, we're sort of living in this age where everything's constantly redefined, you know, and we, we um, and, you know, we're here on, in this very friendly medium and we've, uh, we've hit, we've hit a, a piece where, where uh, we're having, you know, we're having like a, a thing about, about what these words mean. And that's, that's kind of a, um, and you're totally right. You know, we can, we can look at it like that. And we talk about how, of course, someone's individual philosophy is in all their work. And uh, that's, that, I think that's very useful and very good. What you just said, talk about that, but it, you know, it's just, it's just funny that, uh, you know, it's just, it's a strange time to be alive, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I think, uh, I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a creator, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer, very small, you know, we'll see what happens, but, um, you know, I'm excited to, um, I hope when, when people read my stories, they can connect with, um, sort of these atavistic, uh, these, these very primal, primal parts of themselves and, and they go back to myth and they go back to everything else and that we can, uh, you can, uh, leave, leave a lot of the modern world behind and think about, you know, love and hate and, and think about awe and, and spectacle and all these things. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, I think that the tiny, tiny little piece of, uh, property on this universe that my work occupies or where I want it to occupy. I, uh, absolutely agree. And I think, uh, this is where I think, and I've said this before, and I still hold to this. This is where I think that people writing in the pulp revolution generally have an edge that mm -hmm. they've got an advantage, that it's a structural advantage that uh, as long as you play into it and work with it, it's going to drive you to success that people who try to go against this aren't. I believe that buried in every human being are certain fundamentally moving uh, sensations. Absolutely. That when you see something beautiful, that does something to you that causes mm -hmm. emotions it causes a reaction when you uh are put into danger that causes a reaction yeah. when you Absolutely. you know all of these things betrayal being betrayed having something stolen from you yeah. or yeah. achieving a victory over an enemy these are, yeah. are are the primal things you're talking about right i'm, I'm agreeing yeah. with you these are those Absolutely. primal experiences you build fiction around those primal experiences, around the base of what it means to be human, and you write in a true way, then I think the audiences are going to be grabbed by it. They're going to be more interested by it, and they're going to want more of it because they're so, they're just so rare to get anything yeah. like that. And uh, I went and saw a movie yesterday. It's The Darkest Minds, and I'm not going to do a review, but the entire movie tried to do that, but it was all affected. It was all high level. It was all ideological. It was all intellectual. There was nothing true and visceral and real about it. And if the pulp revolution can write, people in it, writers in it can write true and visceral and real stories, I think that's going to give them a great competitive yeah. advantage. And the funny thing about it is, is I'm, I'm uh, very, I'm very much part of a a, a Western tradition. But um, the irony of all this and, and all these these things that people talk about is that um, if we're plugged into these, we're plugged into these um, 
these primal things, then it, it, I mean, all human beings experience love and hate. All, all human beings uh, uh, will respond when something that they love is threatened, you know, and, you know, that this, this, you know, we've got all these authors and all this weird stuff going on in science fiction and like me and the other pulp revolution guys, it's like we're in the backwoods in an RV. We're taking all these, these primal emotions and cooking them down and, and, you know, and peddling this stuff on the streets. And it's like, it's like the good stuff, you know, and, uh, we're the breaking bad of the science fiction community. I'm going to, some of us are going to die in like a primal emotion lab explosion or something. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and uh, it's it's just it's uh, pretty pretty exciting. Like I just read um, I just read a novel, and now I can't uh, find it. But uh, it's about uh, oh, and um, in the eighties, in the mid eighties, the, the Sikhs, uh, uh, separatist Sikh movement sees the. Uh, um, the big temple, and um, you know, of course, I'm botching this because the uh, Amritsar temple, and uh, this is an Indian author, a whole giant book about it with all these different people, you know, and yeah, I, I might know a little bit something more than somebody else, but like, I'm certainly not an expert on on Sikh politics or or Indian politics. And the book, the book was really good because the book was all about family and obligation and love. And, and hatred and all these things. And so, you know, I could, I could completely get into this novel and, you know, that's, this is what it's all about, you know? All right. Well, um, I've read both the stories on Amazon and I think they're great. We're uh, okay. The reason why I've suddenly switched my speaking mode here is because oh. we're out of time. So um, it's just been such a great episode though. Do you have anything, anything final to say before we uh, start winding down? No, just, uh, hey, guys, you know, Thune's Visions, 99 cents right now. We've got more to Kairos, the first chapter. Um, and we've got The Law of the Wolves, which is a dark fable. They're all on there. Uh, get yourself to Kickstarter. Uh, support Kirsova that's, that's creating this entire milieu for writers. Uh, get on to Indiegogo. Check out Star Knight Saga. It's this incredible um, Space Knight thing that it's going to be awesome. Uh, check out that Flying Sparks flying sparks comic if you uh you know get get it'll be this cool comic book with this uh finally someone you know this whole romantic subplot and all this cool stuff going on yeah just uh and uh hey drop me nail drop me an email or or you want to talk about my work or anything else and uh just go out there and be awesome man um there are uh links to uh, Sky's Amazon page is in the description right now, um, and you can uh, go there and get Thune's Vision, get uh, you know all the other stories we've talked about, um, and by all means, uh, do. I, I thought they were excellent. I think they're great, uh, and you should absolutely check them out. And I'm going to drop in a link to um, a link to the Kursova, uh Kickstarter after the show, so you can just click on the link and go to the Kickstarter there and and uh, join in uh, in supporting Kursova and getting some great great stories. Um, Dornall, do you have anything else uh, you want to add before we kick off? Well, it's uh, it's good to have you back on the show, Sky. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. As usual, I want to wanted- shout out to the to the chat because you got a lot of fans in chat, Sky. Um, they the Pulp Rev guys took a break from talking about Monster Girls for a minute. <laughs> wow. That's significant. That's significant. Yeah, they they oh. they that and say, you know what, we really like your stuff, man. They're they're all going to go pick it up. Excellent. Th- th- thanks to the live chat. I'm I'm glad everybody comes and hangs out with us for an hour every week. Yeah, I got I got to figure out how to use this. I'm like, hello, fellow children. Okay, here it is. <laughs> all right, I'm on there. Um. <laughs> The, uh, the, the chat has been especially great this week, folks. Um, we got a good discussion about various different things going on, and I wanted to get back to it. We just didn't have time to get back to the chat. So by all means, if you're uh, listening to this because you've subscribed to the uh, podcast, which we encourage, you know, that's a great thing. It'll You'll, you'll get some good stuff. Um, come back, see it, li- uh, see it on 
YouTube because as of now, uh, the live chats are preserved along with the videos. So uh, you get to, to jump into this discussion and that hasn't always been the case. It used to be the live chats go away. I've literally had people say, hey, uh, I love the chat this week. Can I get a copy of it somewhere? And I, and I couldn't do it because it doesn't save. It didn't save, but it does now. So, uh, you know, if you listen to the show live, you can come in, join in the chat, uh, get a bunch of uh, education on various subjects by some very, very well-informed people. Uh, or if you're listening to it later, you, can, you can't participate, you can come and read it and uh, likewise get educated, but not be able to join in real time. So let's start off at the top and run to the bottom. Uh, this Geek Gab, we do this about once a week. Uh, be sure to subscribe if you want to get notifications. Click the bell icon to double secret subscribe so that YouTube will tell you when we're going live and you can come and enjoy the show. If, on the other hand, you want to listen to us on your favorite device, you can subscribe to us through the Google Play Store, you can through the iTunes Store, or you can download from soundcloud.com. Just do a search for Geek Gab on any of those places, and you will be able to find this show. We want to thank Sky for coming on. Uh, very excited about his new stuff. Check it out, absolutely. Check out Kursova, absolutely. And we're leaving you for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.